Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Good to worship with you on um, the Sunday as uh, we we celebrate the third Sunday of of Advent. Um, and uh, as as Tracy shared with our our children, this is the Sunday of joy. Um, that's why we will light the one different colored candle, the pink candle, in our our Advent wreath. It's um, the, this idea of joy, um, traditionally in the church, is called uh, gaudete, uh, which is from the Latin word for rejoice. It's considered a break along the Advent journey. Advent's supposed to be a time of preparation, of repentance. Uh, and so it's a little bit of a break in this this time where we can rejoice together because we can claim with confidence that we know where the story's going. We know that Christ will come into the world. Um, and so that's why we'll, we'll sing Joy to the World after the sermon today, and um, that, that's kind of our focus. So today is, is all about joy. That is until we meet John the Baptist. We met him last week, and we heard his prophecy, but we hear from him again today, and we hear his, his preaching today. And it begins with the lovely condemnation of, you brood of vipers. For John, uh, seeing the light of God coming into the world is not just a cause for rejoicing, but for preparation in light of the one who is coming as a way of preparing the way for our Lord's arrival. John's sermon also, though, provides an ethics for this life of what it looks like to live into the reality of God's coming into our world, into our reality and midst. So let's listen for that. Let's listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the third chapter of Luke, beginning with the seventh verse. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked him, What then shall we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. Soldiers also asked him, and what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. 
So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. One of my favorite movies of all time is uh, the film Forrest Gump. Forrest, a, a simple man from a small town in Alabama, somehow finds his way stumbling into the most, some of the most pinnacle moments of the latter half of the 20th century, all while contemplating the complexities of life and destiny throughout the film. Now, Forrest, a former All-American football player from Alabama, decides one day and later in the film to go running. And he puts it, he just decided to keep running. Along the way, he develops fans, media, uh, numerous followers drop everything to follow him on his journey, a journey that turned out to be about three years. One day, while running in the middle of the desert, Forrest stops abruptly, turns around, and says to his followers, I'm kind of tired. I think I'm going to go home now, and walks back through the the gauntlet of, of the people following him back to Greenbow, Alabama. And as he walks past, one of his followers, all of whom are perplexed, yells out, well, what are we supposed to do now? What are we supposed to do now? That is essentially the very same question John's followers ask him here out in the wilderness. Now, Forrest probably somewhat physically resembles John the Baptist at this point in the film. His hair is unkempt. He has a large, unruly beard. Uh, he has raggedy, dirty clothes from years of running, and I'm sure the guy didn't smell the best. John, too, resembled a prophet who lived, in, who lived out in the outskirts, out in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of forgiveness in light of Jesus' coming. To John, the arrival of the Savior and Messiah was not an occasion for joy, but for judgment. After all, that's what the Old Testament had been promising. So his message about the need for repentance, it was in light of the coming judgment. He calls those gathered a brood of vipers, which in Greek literally means children of serpents. Something Jesus himself will repeat in Matthew's Gospel. He gives some frightening images, too, of the axe lying at the foot of the tree and how God will cut down all trees who do not bear good fruit and throw them into the fire. And others of a farmer at the threshing floor separating the wheat from the chaff and throwing the chaff into the fire. So maybe it's a bit of a surprise and maybe a little bit of irony when the Messiah that comes doesn't bring judgment and destruction, but love and grace and joy. Now, in light of all this, John baptizes those who gather uh, out there with him in the wilderness as a sign of their repentance. But then he kind of leaves it at that. Following the baptism, his followers say, what then should we do? These guys have been following John, hearing his prophetic warnings about the coming judgment. Then all of a sudden, he baptizes them and sends them out on their way. You can understand why they, like Forrest followers, are a little unsure of what they're supposed to do next. Now, this would have been my very favorite line in our reading if it was the only time said, but the same question, did you hear it, was repeated two more times. 
the same question, what, what do we do? is said a total of three times in our short reading. So following this life-changing experience of baptism, those gathered basically asked John, what should be different about my life now? How am I supposed to live in light of this experience? What needs to change? What needs to change in my life, in my career, in my relationships? I love this response by the crowds because the question really signifies that following their baptism, they are changed forever and they can never be the same again. The question, what do we do now? It marks a new beginning, a new era in, in their life. It marks a new period, a new reality that they're living into because the Messiah is truly coming soon. This question beautifully illustrates how one's baptism is the beginning of their journey of faith, not the end. John's answer to the question is poetic, but to be clear, it's nothing new. He basically gives them an ethic of kindness, generosity, hospitality, very similar to what we read throughout the Old Testament. The instructions sound like common sense. If you have two coats, give one of them to somebody who doesn't have any. If you have food, do the same. Give, give your um, excess food to somebody who, who's hungry. To live into this new reality, to live as children of God, John tells us we need to share what we have, to show kindness, hospitality, generosity to others. The question John's followers ask, friends, is one we can ask ourselves in this time of Advent. As we prepare for Christ to come, how should we live differently? How do we live into the joy of our Savior's reign today? How might John respond to our asking, what should we do? How might John challenge and push us to share what we have, to love the stranger and the outcast among us? In such a turbulent time in our world, my guess is that John would have plenty to say to us beyond sharing our coats and our food. As we keep going in our lesson, John's ethical teachings gets more specific as people of particular professions come to him. Do you notice that uh, Luke tells us that tax collectors and soldiers come to him to be baptized? This is pretty intentional, I think, by Luke, because tax collectors and soldiers were uh, the two occupations of Jewish folks that would put them in a position to oppress their fellow Jewish people. Tax collectors could demand unfair amounts from their neighbors. Soldiers could extort or use violence to, to harm their neighbors. In many ways, scholars think they needed, um, uh, they needed to do these things in order to make a living wage, too. What I love here, what I'm at least fascinated by in our reading, is that John doesn't tell these two people, these ta the tax collectors and soldiers, these people of these despised professions, he doesn't tell them to quit their jobs. Rather, he tells them how to use their occupations to live into this new reality, this new way of thinking. He tells them how they can live and serve as tax collectors and soldiers and see this as a way of living into this calling. 
He tells tax collectors to only collect the, what was prescribed to you. He tells soldiers not to extort people, but to be content with the wages they receive. This is really interesting, I think. It shows us that we can faithfully follow God's calling in our lives, not necessarily by a drastic change, but by finding ways in our own occupations and own stages of life to faithfully live into the coming of our Lord. You don't necessarily need to drop your career in order to follow God's calling, to live into God's reign. Rather, how might you practice John's ethic of kindness, hospitality, and generosity in your own life, in your own kind of sphere of influence? But I think this also shows that no one gets a pass on this either. John doesn't just give the teaching to the countless peasants in the crowd, those who are anxiously awaiting for the Messiah to come. He even gives it to the powerful among them, to tax collectors and soldiers who have to find new creative ways to show hospitality in their occupations. This ethic, this teaching applies to everyone. What then should we do? Everyone must find ways to share what they have, Everyone must find ways to show generosity and compassion to those in their midst. Not just to other people like them, but to their neighbors and even their enemies. Even to those who oppress them. Now, our last line in the reading caused me to do a double take every time I read it. After John's ethical overture about hospitality and kindness, and after these kind of scary images of judgment and destruction, he says this, So with, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Good news? Kind of seems like a child calling the chore list their parent outlines for them good news. Or a student rejoicing that their teacher has assigned a double amount of reading this week. But herein lies, I believe, the reason the church has linked this lesson with Gaudete, with the rejoicing, the joy Sunday of Advent. For John, the Savior's coming is not a time to sit still and wait. It's a time for action. It's a time for radical action of finding ways to, to uh, practice hospitality and generosity. The good news, the joy for John, is found in the Lord's coming, but it's also in the actions that we do as we prepare for his arrival. By sharing what we have, by welcoming the stranger, the outcast among us, by showing compassion and generosity to our friends and our enemies alike. Following John's ethic means that we identify ourselves not by scarcity, but by abundance. Not by fear, but by hope. Not by hate, but by love. We identify not by death, but by life. Following John's ethic, John's source of joy means that we are living into the reality of God's kingdom here and now, friends. So what then should we do? Friends, as we journey that much closer to Bethlehem, let's find ways to share what God has given us. Let's find ways to extend hospitality 
and welcome and joy to those around us that we might more fully live into God's reign and prepare the way for our Savior to come into our midst. Amen.